Okay, just a quick announcement before we turn it over to Mitchell. Um, in an effort to encourage the people of Riverside not just to come and hear about Jesus, but to actually live like Jesus, we're going to be starting uh, something um, which is we're going to call the Riverside Monthly Service Project. If you were to leave the auditorium and go into the kitchen, there's going to be a board there, or there is a board there on the wall, and it's going to show what our monthly service project is. And this month, the, fir the first one, we're going to be collecting items to put together new baby bags um, for moms in Nicaragua. We have a member here who, um, with a friend, they're trying to make 30 new baby bags. The items are listed on the board, and there's actually going to also be handouts to take home. So for this month, that's what we're encouraging the people of Riverside to do, is to come together, bring these items, actually uh, try to show the community and the world um, our love, and uh, try to be like Jesus by serving each other. So, all righty, thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Janet. <clears throat> all right, a few announcements before we get started. Uh, tomorrow night, Monday night, we got uh, Ignite for the 4th and 5th graders here at church. Tuesday night, uh, Rev, 6th through 8th graders. And Thrive, uh, Wednesday, 6 to 8, have pizza at all three of them. So if you know any uh, kids in those age groups, have them come. It's a, it's a blast, as always. If anybody wants to help corral lots of kids, let me know when you're hired. Uh, baptism services next weekend. If you want to go swimming next weekend, let us know. Potluck next Sunday after the third service at 1230. And jam camp starts next Sunday through Thursday. So if you guys are going to jam camp, the kids... We're going to take the church bus if you want to take it. You don't have to, obviously. We're going to leave the church at 2.30 next Sunday afternoon if you want to ride the bus out. And then the bus will also be going to pick up kids on Thursday night. So if you, anybody from the church is welcome to go Thursday night, but it's family night for GM camp. And the kids are going to be showing you all of what they learned throughout that week at camp. So if you guys, anybody wants to come from the church to see what the kids uh, have learned, please come out. It's out at the camp in Wasilla. You can talk to me after the service. Uh, and that's at 6.30 to 8 on next Thursday. And I think the final tally, we have 49 Riverside kids going to GM camp. So there's going to be a lot of kids out there. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I'll be out there all week. So, okay, that's it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about worry. Worry is one of those things that will kill you if you let it. It's totally natural and it's kind of our human response to stress. But it doesn't really do much good and instead it does a lot of harm to us. Jesus himself spent an awful lot of time talking about worry. Do you know what his policy on worry was? Don't do it. But it's a lot easier said than done. Look at Matthew 6, 31 through 34. It says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So that's Jesus' advice for worry, at least when it comes to our basic needs, food, shelter, and clothing. Well, what about all the other stuff we worry about? What about that stuff? Think about the crowd Jesus is talking to. Did they have it easier or tougher than us? They were poor, and they lived on less than a dollar a day. They had no medicine, no universal health care. Plagues would sometimes wipe out a third of a city, and many of them were slaves. And odds were one in three babies survived, and the average lifespan was 30. Living conditions were pretty tough for people in Jesus' day, so the anxiety and worry level were probably pretty high. Uh, so over the last 2,000 years, conditions have improved a lot. We are better educated. We're healthier, better resourced, wealthier, cleaner, and we are freer. So isn't it great that we don't have worry anymore? We've pretty much eliminated that from our lives. Not so much, huh? 
depression and anxiety are more common now than in Jesus' day, even though by objective standards, we have it so much better now. That's what Jesus is getting at here. If you think more money, health, success, and anything else will free you from worry, then you've got another thing coming. You will never get the worry-free life through improved circumstances, like more wealth or better health. The only way to have less worry in your life is to put your life in the hands of the Father. Jesus is incredibly realistic. He never says just to pretend bad stuff isn't out there. He never says that his teachings are about storm avoidance. They're about how to handle it when we find ourselves in a storm of life. And that's one thing the Bible is there for. To show us multiple times when people were in storms, they didn't know how they were going to get through, and how their faith got them through whatever storm they were facing. Maybe not in the way they would have picked, but God got them through. In fact, throughout the Bible, God gives himself several names by which he is known. In the book of Exodus, Moses builds an altar after God had given the Israelites a great victory. And he dedicated that altar with the name Jehovah Nissi, which means the God who defends. Or to put it in modern language, the God who's got my back. Today we're going to look at another story from the Old Testament where the people of God had the odds stacked against them. And how they responded to worry with four concrete steps. And the first step they took when they were faced with an extremely troubling situation was, number one, turn to God first. When they were afraid, the first thing they did was pray about it. Look how the story begins in 2 Chronicles 20, 1-3. After this, three armies declared war on Jehoshaphat. He was afraid, so he decided to ask the Lord what to do. So here's what's going on in the story. The nation of Judah, which was in the southern part of Israel where Jerusalem is, is threatened by a coalition of three nations. They decide they want to wipe the nation of Judah off the face of the map. So what does the king do? He prays. I know, crazy, right? I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, I have to remind myself to pray first before I do anything else. I don't know if you've ever heard someone in a movie say, well, I guess all that's left to do is pray, and someone else will shake their head and be like, oh my goodness, has it come to that already? <laughs> Prayer should be the first step we do before we do anything else in life doesn't mean that God will take care of things the way you'd like him to, but there's just something incredibly powerful about inviting God into our most stressful situations that changes things. And the reason we need to practice this is because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in a position where, where we really need God's help, but we don't know how to reach out to him. Let's watch this clip. Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something, it's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers of Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, grace, Jewish dad, you know that. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace and many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, 
sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. <laughs> Love thee more clearly. To see thee more clearly. To follow thee more nearly. Day by day. By day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> That's why when things are calm, we need to practice prayer. Practice something. So when something happens like that, we're ready. Okay, we're ready to blow people away. <laughs> so that's one thing you see in this story. The king isn't doing something that he's never done before. He is used to coming before God and talking to him. And not only does the king pray himself, he asks everybody else to pray as well. Look at 2 Chronicles 23 through 4. It says, he announced that everyone in Judah should fast during this special time of prayer to God. The people of Judah came together to ask the Lord for help. They came from every town in Judah. This is really smart, to ask other people to pray for you. I don't know if it was this part of the equation that tipped the scales in Judah's favor, but it's worth mentioning. What would have happened if the king hadn't asked everyone to pray for him? Would things have turned out differently? I'm not saying that they would have, but it's an interesting question, right? When it comes to prayer, the more the merrier as far as God's concerned. There just seems to be a correlation between prayer and results in this world. It's really very important, and you see just how important it is in this story. Not only does the king pray for it on his own, but not only does the king ask others to pray, but then the king does this in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5. Then King Jehoshaphat went and stood before them and prayed aloud. So there's personal prayer in this story. There's a prayer chain in this story, and there's corporate public prayer in this story. Are you starting to get an idea of just how important prayer is when it comes to our walk with Christ? So now the second point we want to touch on today is tell God how you feel. I think a lot of times we're unsure about prayer because we don't feel like we know how to pray. We've heard other people pray, and we feel like our prayers are somehow less powerful because they're not as flowery and beautiful as everyone else's. The church I was at before, Riverside, they had a prayer service on Sunday nights. And uh, I'm not a really long prayer person, at least definitely not in public. But on my own, I, I pray longer. And so, but other people in there, man, they were prayer warriors, okay? Like, they prayed long time. And so, this one lady in the church, I love her to death. She just would pray novels. And I was like, <laughs> I said, I'm going to time her this service. So I got my phone out, and as soon as she started praying, I hit the, hit the start button. And I was just like, like, oh my gosh, like, it's crazy. Okay, now you think about this. I only preach for 25 to 30 minutes, okay? She prayed for 40 minutes straight in the service. And there was like, you know, 20 people there, so everybody's praying a long time. So I was like, whew, okay? And when she got done, I was just like amazed. Like, it was amazing. Like, it wasn't like she did anything wrong. Just some people can pray longer than other people. But 40 minutes, she got done, and like, there's a long pause. And I'm just like, everybody's probably like, wow, I can't top that. So I wanted so badly, I wanted so badly to be like, dear Jesus, ditto. <laughs> I never did that. My pastor right there probably wouldn't have liked me for that. That's really what I thought about. But I'm not a long prayer person. And there's nothing wrong with praying for 40 minutes, okay? 
So you just got to know when somebody's praying like that, it's okay, all right? Everybody has their own prayer style. So don't get uh, overwhelmed or discouraged when you hear other people praying. So prayer, it's not about your ability to pray. It's about inviting God into your life. Take a look at this quote from Max Licato. It says, our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. So my prayers make a difference, not because of the words I use, but because of the one I'm praying to. And your prayers make a difference, not because of the words you say, but because of the one you're praying to. And in this story, the king's prayers make a difference, not because of the power of his prayer, but because of the power of the one he's praying to. I mean, look at this prayer. Does it seem like these words were especially tough to figure out? 2 Chronicles 20.12 says, We are powerless against this large army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. That's as plain as prayer as you're ever going to hear. And it's interesting that it's not exactly the way most leadership books would tell you how to behave as a leader. They usually say, never, never let them see you sweat. Always appear as though you have everything under control, even if you don't. That's what most leadership training would tell you. The king doesn't do that here. He admits that this is beyond anything he can handle on his own. Leadership gurus may frown on this prayer, but it turns out that it was a brilliant strategy on the part of the king. Pastor Ed has been talking a lot about this as he's gone through the series of James. God's way is often upside down and backwards from what we think might work. This is just another instance where that's true. Oftentimes in our life uh, with God, it's our weakness that God works through to do the most amazing things that we've ever seen. The Apostle Paul had a weakness. Nobody knows for sure what it was, and really it doesn't matter what the weakness was, at least not to us. What matters to us is that Paul struggled with something that he considered to be a weakness that was preventing him from doing the work God had given him to do. So Paul says he prayed over and over that God would take that away from him. Have you ever had something you asked God to take away and you wondered why he didn't take it away? Paul wondered the same thing. Anyways, Paul, after Paul had prayed about it again, God said this to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. No, but I am with you, and that is all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Now I am glad to boast about how weak I am. I am glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power, instead of showing off my own power and abilities. I don't know how God does it, but oftentimes... His greatest expressions of power in our lives is an area that we consider ourselves to be weakest in. But that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we feel like if our prayer doesn't get answered the way we like it to be answered, then we must be doing something wrong. But Paul lets us know that that's not always the case. Sometimes our weaknesses are part of what God will use to do the most amazing things in our lives and the lives of the people we love. Paul says he's glad to be a living demonstration of God's power. Why? He tells us that in the next verse, in 2 Corinthians 12.10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you ever thought about that in your own life? How could you be strong in places that you're weak? How does that happen? Only when God is allowed to flow through your life. Only when you accept what you consider to be your weaknesses and offer them up to God. Is there something you struggle with when it comes to worry? Is there some way you think that you can hand that off to God and give it to him? This doesn't mean you don't do the stuff that's your part to take care of. This means when you get to the end of your ability to fix something, you hand the rest over to God. And then you, number three point today, is trust that God will help you. Once you've done everything you know you're supposed to do in a situation, then you hand the rest over to God and trust that he's going to take care of it. 
And trust doesn't mean that you're still not concerned. Trust is more about commitment than it is 100% certainty. And thank goodness. Because when we turn over a situation to God, we're never sure how he's going to help us with it. We're never sure what the end result will be. I don't know about you, but that kind of keeps me on my toes at times. I want so badly to be able to control the outcome of things. I'm pretty good at having an idea of where I want to go and how I want to get there. But there are some things that just are out of my control. And trying to impose my own story on God always ends up going badly. Sort of like this. I'm tired, though. Living takes a lifetime. You've got a whole lot more living to do, honey. Oh, I don't feel like I'm going to make it. Oh, you're going to make it. Hush. Just got to keep getting up every day and taking one day at a time. You're going to make it. My grandma Rose used to tell to pray about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you ought to do, y'all. Pray about it. Talk to the Lord about it. That's what y'all ought to do. Yeah, but she only told it. She, she never told me how to do it. Would you teach me? Please. Show you how to pray? Yeah. Whew, oh, child, I ain't talked to God since here. Whew. <laughs> I guess I can try. I can try to pray. Sit back, sit back. Okay. By your head. First, give an honor to God, to the head of my life. Um, Father God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Shedrick, Meshach, and the Billy Goat. Fire furnace that they barbecued on the day of Pentecost when the Jewish people returned from the Sabbath day up on the mountaintop in uh, Ethiopia. Uh, God. That doesn't sound right. Huh? That doesn't sound right. That's not how Mother Rose used to do it. You ain't feel it? You don't feel the anointing? No. Honey, listen, I don't know nothing about praying, but all praying is is talking to God, having a conversation with him. And at the end of your conversation, you say the name of Jesus, that's your step, that it getting up there to him. <laughs> okay. You know who you remind me of right now? You remind me of Peter in the Bible. You know who Peter was? Peter was one of the 12 disciplines. And uh, they were on a boat out on the Isle of the Greek uh, Atlantic Ocean. And when they was on this boat, the storm rose up and the 12 discipline, they got really, really worried and upset. They said, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? And they, they saw something coming to them on the water, looked like a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost, it was Jesus. And, and Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, let me come out there. Well, you got to be careful what you ask the Lord. For. So Jesus said, come on out. So Peter stepped out of the boat and was walking on the water. He was walking on water. On the water, he was walking on the water toward Jesus. Long as he kept his eyes on him, he stayed on top of the water. He took his eyes off him, though. You know why? He got distracted. You know why he got distracted? See, this is what you got to do. When you got your eye on Jesus, you can't get distracted by nothing. Jonah passed by in the belly of the well. He looked down here at that well, free willy with Jonah inside the belly, and it made him distracted, so he started to sink. He said, Jesus, Jesus, help me, help me, Jesus. Jesus said, I can't. I got to go to the I'm late. So Jesus went on to the cross. He said, but don't worry, I'm going to send you a comforter. When the comforter comes, you're going you're gonna to be all right. So he's swimming. He tried to swim. He tried to swim. He just worried. And Jaws was coming. All of his knees did burn. He did that Jaws thing. And all of it was around him. He was worried. You know what happened? What? Just in the nick of time. See, this is what I'm talking about. When you think you ain't going to make it, just in the nick of time, something happened. 
Noah came up in the ark. That's right, Noah came rolling up in the arch of uh, St. Louis Arch, and he pulled right up beside him. And he got on there, he said, ooh, thank you for saving me. Peter, Noah said, no problem, man, cool, what's up, fool? You know, so they spoke to each other. He said, come on, let me show you around, because Noah had turned the arch into a cruise ship, because uh, he didn't have nothing to do after he saved the world. And you know who was on there? Eve. Eve? She was in the VIP section. Yeah, that's right. And um, Peter asked to say, Eve, come on, go to the show. So she went to see the show. And uh, they had tigers. You know, I had two tigers, two bears, two lions. You know how I did that, the male and the female. Well, Siegfried and Roy, they was there. And they had the two lions. And them lions jumped out and scratched Eve. That's how Eve get them two paws right there. You ever see Eve with the paws? She got two paws right there. Read your Bible sometime, man. Read your Bible. Love Medea. So she got a lot wrong in that explanation. But at least two things she said were true. Praying is nothing more than talking to God and telling him how you feel. She couldn't have been more right about that one. And the other thing she was right about, just in the nick of time, when there's no way out, God shows up. Oh, and she said one more really smart thing at the end. Read your Bible. Okay? Always read your Bible. If she had taken her own advice, maybe that clip wouldn't have been filled with as many mistakes as it was, but it also wouldn't have been as entertaining as it was to listen to. So let's get back to the actual story in the Bible. King Jehoshaphat is worried. He has no idea what to do, and they were totally outnumbered. Nothing short of a miracle was going to save them. The king turned to God first, and he told God how he felt, and now he shows his willingness to trust God in the outcome. Look at what he says in this prayer in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. We don't know what to do, so we look to you for help. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? Have you ever admitted that you're powerless to God? Have you ever admitted, admitted that you're powerless to God out loud in front of other people? I'm telling you, we don't like it, but there's power in admitting that you're powerless. I know it seems strange, but it's true. You see it throughout the stories in the Bible. It's like when a toddler doesn't want a parent to help them do something that they obviously can't do on their own, so the parent just stands back and watches until they figure out that they can't do it on their own. The parent helps them. When we try to handle something we really can't handle on our own, I picture God doing the same thing with us. Standing back until we recognize that we can't do it on our own. And he steps in and helps us and he blows us away by his ability to do something that we couldn't do on our own. The trick for me is being patient, trying to calm down while waiting to see what God is going to do. I know you've been hearing a lot about King David over the last few weeks. He was someone who seemed to know a lot about this concept. Look at what he said in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. He doesn't say he won't wonder how it's all going to turn out. He doesn't say he won't be concerned. He just says he won't let fear knock him off course. And this, and this isn't something you just decide you're going to do. Just saying, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid, just doesn't work all the time, does it? So what does work? Practicing this kind of relationship with God working through it with smaller things so that when the truly massive things come along, we've already seen what God can do with the smaller things in our lives. This is just another part of what Pastor Ed has been talking about with putting on the full armor of God. You have to be practicing it before you really need it. If you're in the midst of a battle you don't know what, how you're going to win, this will be much harder if you haven't been training for it already. It doesn't mean God won't help you, but the more you practice and train beforehand, the more equipped you'll be to handle whatever life may throw your way. 
So Jehoshaphat turns to God first, and he tells God how he feels, and he decides beforehand that he's going to trust God with the outcome. And look at God's response in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15 through 17. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You won't need to fight in this battle. Just stand strong in your places, and you will see the Lord save you. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor Ed was uh, preaching on David and Goliath? It was, it, was eerily, it was eerily similar to what God is telling Jehoshaphat here to do, that he told David. The battle isn't yours. The battle is God's. God promises to help Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah in this fight, but God asks a lot from them. Do you see what God is asking from the king and from the army that might be difficult for a king and an army to do? He asks them not to fight. He asks them just to stand strong in their places. I imagine that's not an easy thing for a soldier to do. And that leads to our last point that we're going to touch on. So when you find yourself in a situation you can't handle on your own, the story suggests that we turn to God first, that we tell God exactly how we feel, that we trust God with the part we can't take care of, and then we, number four, we thank God in advance. We thank God in, in advance for what he's going to do. You know, the thing we're not sure about, but we're trusting him to take care of it in whatever way he thinks is best. This is not easy, but there's real power in this step. To thank God for something he's already done is gratitude, and that's really, really important. But to thank God for something he has yet to do and trust him to do it and not try to manage the outcome, that's faith. Some of you are in struggles right now that you have no idea how you're going to get through. You have no idea what's going to happen, and you're worried. What would it even look like to thank God in advance for what you're going through right now? Well, I don't know exactly what it would look like for you, but I do know what it would look like for King Jehoshaphat. It was kind of strange. He goes back to his generals, and he says to them, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going to assemble the armies. We're going to march out for battle, but we're not going to engage the enemy. We're going to stand still to know what the, armies, what the other armies do. I don't know what the other armies are going to do, but this is the plan for us, not for them. He goes, and then he goes on and says, we're going to take the worship team, and we're going to put them in front of our army, and they're going to sing. Okay, yeah, they're going to sing. The worship team will be out in front of the soldiers between our army and the armies that want to destroy us. And then we will wait and see what happens. But the worship team will sing and the soldiers will stand and we'll see what God does. How do you think the king feels giving these orders? How do you think the generals feel hearing it? How do you think the generals feel relating this plan to the soldiers? And how do you think the soldiers feel hearing what they got to do in battle? And what about the worship team? How do you think they feel? Can you imagine Pastor Jeff going out there with his guitar in front of battle, rocking out, okay? It'd be pretty mean to do to him, okay? But do you want to hear about a miracle? The greatest miracle that happened that day might not be what God does after everybody does what they're supposed to do. The greatest miracle may be that everybody was willing to do their part in what sounds like an absolutely crazy plan. But they do. And do you know what song they sing? A song we still sing today. In fact, we did sing it today. Do you remember when we sang the song called Forever? The song comes right out of the Bible from this particular story. Look what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, 21. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. Can you imagine singing that song when you're not even sure how God is going to answer your prayer? Because that's a big part of the story. Nobody's sure how God will intervene. And when you or I pray and ask for God's intervention in our lives, we're not sure how he's going to intervene with us. I don't know about you, but I'm almost always sure I think things should work out. Let me say it one more time. I don't know about you, 
but I'm almost always sure I think things should work out when I pray, but faith is when I trust God enough to thank him in advance for whatever he does in my situation. Sometimes God doesn't do what I want him to do, and I don't know why that is, but I've also noticed that God knows better than I do. It's not an easy thing to remember, but there it is. So the worship team, they start singing, thanking God in advance for whatever he's going to do, and look what happens in 2 Chronicles 20, 22. At that moment, they begin to sing and to praise. The Lord caused the armies to begin fighting among themselves, and they destroyed each other. Can you imagine that? In this case, they don't take any casualties, which I imagine was a huge relief for that worship team out front. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And Judah is safe for the time being. So this lesson today is about trust over worry. This lesson is about giving God the outcome and thanking him in advance for what he's going to do in your life. So to recap, just real quick, number one today, remember we talked about is turn to God first. Number two, tell God how you feel. Okay, he already knows everything, so you can't hold anything back from him. Tell him how you truly feel. Number three, trust that God will help you. Okay, he needs to know that we trust him. And four, thank God in advance for what he's going to do in your life. It's not always easy. But as we practice this, it will lead us into, our, into lives we never dreamed were possible. So as you guys go throughout this week, give that worry that you're dealing with right now. Give it to God. Okay? Don't try and face it on your own. Give it to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. Beautiful weather outside and everybody coming out this morning. Uh, I thank you so much for your love and that you're willing to take all these worries and troubles that we're facing right now and help us battle them together. And I just pray as people go throughout their week, whatever battle they're facing, whatever worry is in their, their mind or in their life right now, that they give it to you and you help them face it head on so they can get through it with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank God that I be you at the front of the battle. Uh, brave worship leaders, brave worship leaders. Let's go ahead and stand and close with the final chorus. As we sing this song that they did, Forever God, you are faithful. Forever you are faithful. Forever you are strong. Forever you are with us. Forever. Forever. Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. God bless you. Have a great week.